Welcome to the Beacon Broadcast from Beacon Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina, featuring expositional Bible teaching by Pastor Greg Barkman. If you'd like to correspond with the Beacon Broadcast, or if you wish to support this radio ministry, write to The Beacon Broadcast, Post Office Box 159, Alamance, North Carolina, 27201, or find us on the web at beaconbaptist.com beaconbaptist.com The Beacon Broadcast is supported in part by the gifts of faithful listeners. Now with today's message from God's Word, here is Greg Barkman. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the Church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And thus begins Paul's first epistle to the Thessalonians, the book that we study next in our verse-by-verse exposition through books of the Bible on the Beacon broadcast. And on the broadcast yesterday, we spent quite a bit of time talking about the city of Thessalonica and why it was such a strategic location for Paul to preach the gospel and to endeavor to establish a church, which, by the grace of God, he was able to do. His desire, his endeavor, his labors were made fruitful by the work of God's Spirit. Souls were saved, a church was planted, and Paul writes to that church two of the epistles that we find in our New Testament scriptures. And so you may remember that this was the largest city in Macedonia, the northern part of the Greek peninsula, and it was strategic. It was on the Aegean Sea. It was a port city. It was also on the Ignatian Way, major highway that ran eastward or westward to Rome. And so this city was a major hub of people coming and going, of goods being shipped there and transported from there to other places, and business was carried on there. And thus it became a strategic location for Paul to preach the gospel. Now, let's go into some of the details of how he got there, starting with his departure from Philippi, which is found in Acts chapter 16. And let me read what happened. Verse 35, And when it was day... The magistrates sent the officers saying, let these men go. This was after Paul had been thrown into prison. And God sent an earthquake and shook the prison doors open. And the jailer thought that everybody had run away. And he was getting ready to commit suicide rather than be executed by the Roman authorities, which was the punishment for someone who was given the responsibility of keeping prisoners, and he wasn't able to keep them. He wasn't faithful to his task. But instead, Paul called out and said, Do yourself no harm. We're all here. That in itself is a miracle. I don't know if you've thought about that. Yes, the earthquake was a miracle. Yes, the salvation of souls was a great miracle. But why did 
the prisoners all stay in their cells, even though the the uh, gates, the bars, the doors of their prison cells had been flung wide open. And the only thing I can answer, the only thing I can think of to answer that question is to say, because God kept them there. For some reason, they didn't move. Was it because of the earthquake that they were paralyzed with fear because of that? I don't know. We're really not told. But it is an amazing thing that not a single prisoner left his cell, even though the door was wide open. But that's what our God is able to do. And Paul said, do yourself no harm. We are all here. And he came in and fell down before them and cried out, what must I do to be saved? The Holy Spirit was working in his heart. He was convicted of his sin. He recognized something of the message of the gospel, no doubt, in the singing of hymns by Paul and Silas in his jail that night. He was to guard them. He probably was awake or or woke up when he heard them singing. What in the world is that? And he listened to that. He'd never heard that before, never heard prisoners singing, and certainly not singing hymns to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to the Lord Jesus Christ, but that's what they were doing. And so he'd already been introduced to the gospel, at least at that point, when he heard them singing, and perhaps had have even had heard Paul preaching in the city streets and marketplaces before this. So, with this amazing event, the earthquake throwing open the prison bars, and nobody leaving, he comes in and falls down, recognizing that the God of Paul and Silas must indeed be the one true God, and that he was a sinner in need of salvation. And he cried out, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where salvation is. That's the only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And the scripture goes on to say that Paul continued preaching and teaching. We don't know what else he said. The only words that are recorded is that short statement, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But it's clear that a lot more was preached and he believed the message that he heard and he was baptized that night, he and members of his household, who all had listened to what Paul said and received the word. I think we ought to back up to that part. Verse 25, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. They were hearing the message of the gospel in the hymns that they were singing. That's, that's why we should sing hymns that teach something, that, that reveal truth. Have I told you about many years ago now, one of our men, who's now with the Lord, was, was uh, working on a job where a man from India was also working, was a computer-type job, high-tech and this man knew was in America, but had not been here long, and came from a Hindu background, but recognized that in America, most people considered themselves Christians. He didn't understand the Christian religion, but he wanted to understand it. 
He wanted under, wanted to know what it was all about. So at the invitation of our church member, he came to our church several Sundays. I can't remember now how many. I do remember that he had problems with his wife, and I, I don't even remember all the details, but that seemed to disrupt his working relationship with our with the man in our church, and I he, he left the area eventually. But he came for a while. I would say at least eight or ten Sundays, probably no more. And after, I don't know, five or six Sundays maybe, possibly seven or eight, he came to me after service and he asked if he might be able to purchase one of our hymnals. And I said to him, well, tell you what, we do, we do sell them. We make them available in our book, book room. But for you, I would like to make that a gift. Would you allow me to give you one of our hymnals? And so he gladly accepted. But I said, why do you want one of our hymnals? And he said, because I realize if I read the words of these hymns, I will understand the Christian faith. Good for him. He was an intelligent man, and he figured that out very quickly that he could learn a great deal about the Christian faith, about Christian doctrine, about what we believed about God, what we believed about the Lord Jesus Christ, what we believed about how people are saved, that he could learn a great deal about the Christian faith simply by reading the words of the hymns which we sang. But my question to you is, if he had come to your church, would he have learned Anything substantial about the Christian faith? You see, that's why it's important that the hymns we sing contain doctrine. And I'm confident, evidently, from from what uh, we're reading here about Paul and Silas and what they sang in the Philippian jail, they were singing hymns that people were listening to and learning from. They were listening to them. They were singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison's prison, the foundations, plural, of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. That is quite an earthquake. It not only flung open the all the doors of the cells, but it shook the chains off of their wrists and ankles. That's not a normal earthquake. There's something supernatural going on here for sure. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called out with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and ran in and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out, that is, out of their prison cell, and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, the reason I decided to go back and read this passage in its entirety is because some have misused this passage as if it's teaching house, uh, the conversion of small children, and particularly is used sometimes to support the idea of baptizing infants and small small children. But let me keep reading here. 
So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And oftentimes the argument is, well, surely there must have been some small children in this household. Probably not. Verse 32, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. What's recorded, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved, was not all that he said to them. He taught, he preached, maybe for an hour or two, who knows. And all of his household was listening to this sermon. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now, when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God, with all his household. So not only are we told that all of them listened to the preaching, but we're told that all of them believed. We're not talking here about young children who are too young to believe. You can't support that concept here, not from what the text says, if you'll just read it carefully. And so, having believed in God with all his household, and when it was day, the magistrates sent the officers saying, let these men go. Now, that is the beginning of the explanation of why Paul left Philippi, but we aren't going to have enough time to read the rest of it. But I hope you find this helpful. And we'll take it up again, Lord willing, on Monday. I hope you'll be able to join me then. But we want to understand why Paul left Philippi and why Paul, when he left Philippi, traveled 100 miles before he stopped again. Why did he travel 100 miles to Thessalonica before he stopped his journey and decided to preach in that city? That's important for us to understand, and we'll take it up, Lord willing, on Monday. Please join me then. Until then, Greg Barkman saying good day. May God give you his eternal peace. Thank you.